three amigas living in Sacramento, California, passionate to support communities of color that intersect with mental health issues. So welcome back to Nopal Queens. Thank you for returning. Today we're going to get into some current events around mental health and hear our thoughts about um, our support for a project that we heard about recently. And we're then going to get into the um, reasons why we each got into the mental health field. And we'll take you through that process. And then we're going to end with some positive affirmations and send you home with some good feelings. Yes. A lot of love. Lots all of the love. feels. All <laughs> the feels. So, y'all, today, actually not today, but a few days ago, I heard that the actress Taraji Henson launched her nonprofit that addresses mental health stigma in the black community. Yes. And, and yes, we are here for it. We are so supportive. She's a phenomenal actress. Yes. Um, so she is going to name the foundation after her father, the Boris Lawrence Henson Foundation. And she's doing this because she felt that there were needed to be um, some more conversation around mental health and breaking down the stigma. Yes. Um, her own father fought in the Vietnam War. And when he returned, he received little to no support. Mm -hmm. So I think she really understood from a personal level. And I think understands yeah. the landscape of mental health in her community. Exactly. Um, how important it was. So I just thought that was a really cool current event. And I think it speaks to why, like some like something like Nopal Queens, why we're doing this is to, mm -hmm. we recognize that there are walls in our community yes. um, that lead to stigma around asking for help. And yep. although we're not immune to experiencing mental health issues, we're, there's definitely some barriers to asking for that help. Exactly. And I think it's, <clears throat> now is the time to talk about these things and to bring it to the forefront. And I think historically mental health was something that wasn't obtainable for people of color. It wasn't mm -hmm. something that we felt we could reach out and get, especially cultural stigmas. And like you said, the barriers that we face day in and day out. And I think also historically therapy being known as something that was created for white people by white people. And mm -hmm. so I think now um, Traji is an example of, you know, bringing out these conversations and saying, no, we need this because people in our community are experiencing this and no one's mm -hmm. talking about it and no one is breaking down the barriers, the stigma and the cultural components that creates these mental, these real mental health issues that people of color are facing. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I feel like all cultures face trauma and yeah. I think this really highlights that trauma is traumatic mm -hmm. what it is what the word is mm -hmm. um and just focusing on it's not fair that some people in the community get resources it should be accessible to all people in the community i like what you were saying about like it's not fair that only some cultures get access yeah. to mental health so there's not equity in mental health mm -hmm. but that's true what, just yeah. picking up what you're saying is that i think that um, opening up mental health, making it more accessible to folks is just one step. Mm -hmm. But are we responding? Like, yeah. is this, are you opening up in the way we need you to? Are you providing us with culturally sensitive counselors or people who represent our own cultures in the counseling room? Mm -hmm. um, and I think that's kind of been a barrier as well for folks is that when you're sitting in front of your counselor and, and you're not sure if they're going to know or how to relate to you, that is a barrier in itself, just yeah. not knowing. Yeah. And it certainly helps if you had some information about your counselor, that they either spoke your language or have some knowledge about your community. Or if they don't, that they're really open and willing to ask you about that. 
Because mm-hmm. yeah. if they're silent, and maybe my experience is receiving counseling, uh, my therapist didn't ask about it or bring it up. Uh, if she didn't ask or bring it up, I think I would have had a different um, view of our therapy relationship. But actually, one of her first questions was, what's it like to be you? And I thought that was really powerful because yeah. it really answers questions about... Um, I mean, it speaks to, like, she was not sure, and it was very apparent. Like, my counselor was white, but but just her asking that question and opening up to him for me to define myself was helpful. But even in that experience, I think it would have been more helpful if I knew right away my counselor relates to me, and I didn't yeah, have to yeah. educate her first before I could even... You can get into your yeah. traumas of your life. Mm-hmm. You're like, oh, let me school you first. Yeah. That's exhausting. I think it takes a while to kind of figure that out, because I feel like I went through that same experience. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, you're a great therapist, but when I brought up some, like, family issues, like, she's like, oh, kind of just get over it. And we're like... Uh, I come from a collectivistic culture. I can't just get over yeah. it. Yeah. <laughs> You're like, we're meshed. So then, yeah. <laughs> so and it's appropriate. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I'm just like, thanks. Like, I've done work with you. Now I need to find someone else that can help me address other needs that I have. Yeah. Take mm-hmm. it further culturally and like really validate mm-hmm. those experiences. Mm-hmm. Like, that is like, I think it's priceless. And I think that, like, similar to your guys' experience, when I was searching for my own services this was back in like i think before i moved here to sacramento maybe like i don't know 2003 or 4 i had a white therapist and i was young and i didn't really know what to expect or what to look for and it was my first time getting services and i was in a very uh intense relationship that wasn't healthy and so i took steps to figure it out and I remember keeping it a secret, so my parents didn't know, and no one knew that I was going. And um, <clears throat> I w- used my insurance. I could drive, so I got myself there. And I remember her just saying dumbass shit like, oh, I bet that was hard. And I'm sorry to hear that. And, oh, what was that like? And I was like, bitch, like, <laughs> you don't get it. Like, I just felt like I came out of there, and I was like, fuck this. Like, I can figure mm-hmm. this out myself. Like, I know what I'm doing. And I just, they, she didn't get it. And, I, and not that she wasn't a good clinician, mm-hmm. but she couldn't get me because she didn't have my experiences, my background, mm-hmm. my cultural background. And so... The extent of her empathy was yeah. just using those phrases. Like, like yeah. I was just some poor little brown girl that she felt sorry for. And I was mm-hmm. like, bitch, I'm not here for you to feel sorry for me. I'm here to do some processing and figure out some real shit that's going on in my life. You're like, I need solutions. Yeah, like, I need to figure <laughs> shit out. Like, you are not helping me. And that was yeah. my, that was like my trajectory in mental health. Those, those are the experiences that kept reoccurring over and over mm-hmm. until now in my adult life, like later on in my adult life, I found the only Latina clinician that is here in Sacramento that I've been able to found find and it was like the most magical thing in my life. Like I felt like she was this magical unicorn that came out of nowhere. And I was like, oh shit. Emailed her and immediately sat in there her session, one session, like cried because I was like, oh my God. She understands exactly what I'm going through. Like mm-hmm. she brought up culture, she brought up things that were very real, like being, you know a daughter of immigrants and this expectation of you, you now have to provide for us, you now have to help us monetarily and things like that. And, you know, not to say that that's what exactly what my parents are doing, you know, because my mom listens to this, mm-hmm. <laughs> but, uh, 
um, she re- she understood the challenges of being the eldest in the Latino family and the pressure that comes with that and how to how to detach in a healthy way without emotionally cutting off from your family. Mm-hmm. And oh man, like she helped me get through so much and a lot of guilt around religion, around my culture, about who I am in this family unit. And she helped me figure out who I was yeah. in this family. And it was crazy. And that's the uh, critical piece that I think um, somebody who has lived experience uh, sharing your own culture they can extend much deeper and even maybe validate and plan for if you have to stay with your family. Yeah. Like, okay, here are all these things, but but I understand because I'm a part of a family that's pretty collectivist and I could just imagine it. Like for me and my clients, because I am Latina, if my clients are having issues with their family, I'm typically planning for how we're going to strategize staying in the family. We plan for staying. Because I think it's easy to say, if you don't like that, cut it off or yeah. cut out negativity out of your life. You don't have to live with them or you're an adult now. You can No, it's like you, you kind of have to be, rely on your parents. Given your circumstances. Even if you and your mom or your parents or your uncle doesn't talk, the whole family feels it when you mm. and a family member don't talk or don't get along. And so I'm always constantly like, one, checking for generational trauma because sometimes whatever your parents and families think or have gone through is sort of trickling down. And then two, yeah. how are we going to adjust to your family, but not telling you to leave your family? Like we're yeah. just going to have to learn how to live with them because this is your family. And yeah. I know what that mm-hmm. means. And I think that's really helpful for people because sometimes I think even clients think I, I've got to figure out how to leave or how to get away yeah. or boundaries, putting boundaries. It's like, that doesn't have to be physical boundaries. That could even just be emotional or even like, like I have sometimes my abuelita will say things that can be offensive to people or it's just her way of communicating. Yeah. Like the first thing she does when you walk through the door, her all her children, they'll commonly say she's going to either call them gordita or flaquita. And for them, it's like hard to hear that right when they walk through yeah. the door. What if you just had a mental boundary like I understand where she's coming from and I just have to let it go? Like those kind of things mm-hmm. I, yeah. I think are important. Um Without getting too much more into details of that, but I, yeah, those are like the small nuggets of where you bond with your therapist yeah. if they culturally relate to you because they know exactly what that means. Yes. So they might even experience it themselves. And it's just yeah. straight up validation. Yeah. Like, oh, I'm not going crazy. Like, someone yeah. really gets this in depth and they're helping me break it down and right. figure it out. Yeah. I like that because yeah. that's how I feel too. It's just like, oh, it's not just me, other people feel <laughs> this too. Like, I'm also, like, the oldest daughter yeah. from an immigrant family. So it's just, like, how do I move away hundreds of miles away and <laughs> still be there, still yes. be present in life? So And um, not get threats. Trying right. to find that balance. Yes. And it, try not to feel guilty. Right. Yeah. And not have your family threatening to cut you out. Like, you hate us. Why are you moving? <laughs> right. Like, why do you want to leave me? <laughs> yeah, there's a lot of that. But shout out to Taraji Henson for starting her foundation to break yeah. down stigma and mental health in the black community. I just, we wish her, we wish you a lot of luck. Yes, queen. And yeah, you go, Cookie. You go, Cookie yeah. Lion. <laughs> also, shout out to the eldest siblings in the family. Shout out to all you guys and all the pressure you get from families. <laughs> Y'all are real MVPs. <laughs> right. So we're going to head um, into our next section, which yes. is us. And we're going to process more about, um, we'll let you learn a little bit more about Nopal Queens, who we are, 
Uh, we'll talk about how we got in the field and how we got our nicknames. Yes. And so it's time for you to hear a little bit from our side. Yeah, let's have La Rosa start so we can hear her voice. Oh, shoot. Okay. <laughs> um, so how I got into the field... I got into the field when I was growing up in high school. We had a family friend live with us, and she was studying psychology at USC. So I think that was, like, the first person that I knew that was in college. Um, I knew that I always wanted to go to college. My parents always brought it up. But it was kind of like, but what is that? What does that mean? Um, so I was a rebellious teenager, so I was going through a lot of stuff with my parents. And she was just really there to like hear me out and kind of like this is what your parents are trying to say like this is what you're doing like let's think of other ways to like knock in these situations so I'm just like wow you're really good at like listening like I feel like you're my older sister but now I realize I'm like oh she has all these therapeutic skills yeah. <laughs> um, and then my senior year of high school, I took a psychology course, and I thought it was really interesting. I've always been, like, a people watcher, um, always interested in people's lives. Sometimes th I think that's why I like reality TV show. I just want to know more about people and their behavior, um, but I know it's not always productive for me. Um, <laughs> so then I just, like, took a leap and decided to apply to college. I'm like, psychology, sure, I'll do it. And I think I've just always stuck through it. And then once it came to my senior year of college, I'm just like, oh, shoot, I don't know what I want to be when I grow up. I don't want to get a job, so I'm just going to apply to grad school. And then I was looking between uh, marriage and family therapy or licensed social work. Um, so I chose social work. I feel growing up in a church, I was always really involved with like different like community outreaches and also when I was in college, I did a lot of community outreaches globally, so in Mexico, in the mm. Philippines, in Vietnam, Dominican Republic, so just like cool. going out there and going wow. out in the community. I did not know that about you. Yeah. <laughs> Surprise. <laughs> um, just like even like, let's build a house. Let's like just have a community get together. I really like that portion of it, as well as getting that one-on-one -on -one FaceTime with people, so I thought social work um, better capture that for me and yeah and then in social work so far in my career I've done a lot of things I've done research I've done grant writing I've done lobbying um, now I'm doing clinical direct practice therapy work but I know we're going to go more into that later mm -hmm. um, so that was just kind of a general overview of how I got here and like not really knowing but also knowing at the same time like it's kind of like this comes easy to me I like people I like serving others um because I can't really like think of any I'm not musically talented I'm like there's nothing else that stands out to me it's just like I like people and I'm there for people so I think that's what awesome. brought me here um you can go next La Luna so I can't really pinpoint exactly when I first knew, like, what the name, like, therapist was or therapy or marriage and family therapy. Um, I think I probably learned, like, about that officially, I think, um, later on in my life when I was researching grad schools. But um, I think, so I always remember, like, saying when I was 15, I want to help and I want to listen to people and help them with their problems. 
So I always knew that's what I wanted to do, and it never changed. I just didn't specifically tie it to therapy. I don't think I knew that terminology yet at that time. I may have known about it, but it didn't it didn't correlate in my head. Mm-hmm. So I was like, I just want to help people. And I remember kind of I and I don't know how much it has to do with being like the the oldest in my family, but I kind of naturally had that like motherly nurturing kind of um relationship with people and a lot of my friends would joke around and call me the mom friend because I was like always the one they got their bitch asses home safe but like no DUIs like lying to their parents sorry mom but I was such a good liar like I could call my friends up and like it got to a point where I would draft like fake invitations that I was having like a party so my friends could like sneak off and do stuff so I was always like very like I know it's so horrible and my mom are you I know <laughs> but like not like the mom friend in terms of like um but you were always out there caring for your yeah, yeah. and always and looking out for them yeah. and like at the time what we thought was best for ourselves like which is obviously not the best for ourselves because we're dumbasses and young but I just remember like and sometimes I'm not gonna lie it was exhausting like even today to this point so many people would constantly come up to me for advice or for help to deconstruct their whole situation, their problems. Um, and that was also a double-edged sword for me because that also came with being resilient because I had to because at the end of the day, no one was there to do the same for me. Mm-hmm. So they weren't there to help me go through my problems and what I was going through. So I became an emotional like dumpster for people. They would come and dump everything. Great, I feel amazing now. And then that was it. And then there I was with all my broken ass pieces feeling like shit. And and it didn't so much bother me at that time because I loved the people in my life so much that it was something I was willing to do. I think now as uh, later on in my life, I've learned how to set those boundaries, those emotional boundaries and how to work through it. But when I was younger, I give it credit because I think it made me who I am today and closer to what I wanted to do in life. And so I remember that was happening with friends. And then my grandma would always ask me for advice and she would always tell me, you just have a way with words. And she would say, every time I talk to you, my problems go away. I feel lighter. Like I feel better. And my grandma would tie more also to religion. Like she believed that God was using me as an instrument, you know, for healing and all those Mm -hmm. things. But Um, I didn't really believe it in that. Also, I had a very interesting relationship with religion for a while. But um, so that's kind of like what led me to figuring it out. And then I remember being in uh, undergrad and not really knowing because I was so passionate about justice and advocacy. And so I went the social sciences route and I did anthropology, sociology and psychology which I felt was like the dopest ass thing I could have done because I studied culture, society, and like the human brain. Mm -hmm. And I was fascinated by all of it. And, um, and then after that, I knew for sure I wanted to do therapy and I contemplated similar to, similar to La Rosa, um, looking into social, um, uh, social work and then looking into psychology. And I thought, I think I need to do psychology. Like, I think I need to do therapy. And so I graduated, and then um, I didn't know what to do next with my life. And it was a huge turning point because I was going through some very emotional, like, things. And so me being radical, that a person that I am, I thought, I'm going to completely move to a whole different part of California, and I'm going to pack my shit up, and I'm going to Northern California. 
I went with no plan. I didn't really know if I was going to go to grad <laughs> school. Um, and so when I moved up here, I started researching. And that's when at first I applied to Sac State for social work. And I didn't get in, which was okay, um, because I prayed about it and kind of just trusted this, the process. And I deep down, I knew I don't think that's what I want to do. And then so I researched and I came across this school and I didn't think it was real at first. And I was like, I don't know, this sounds too good to be true. And so my Nina went with me um, and this school only focused on therapy, mm-hmm. marriage and family therapy. So no social work kind of components mm-hmm. of like policy and things like that, just therapy. And so I was like, all right. So I went out on a whim. It was the only school I applied to. And thank Jesus I got in because I was like, uh, I don't have a plan B. Um, and that's it. Like That's kind of, I think we all have more to that story, but just to give a gist of it. Mm-hmm. And that's where I ended up. And I think to this day, it was probably the most hardest, scariest, and best decision I could have made for myself. Mm, that's awesome. Thank you for sharing yeah. that. So now we're going to go into La Sirena and kind of her mm-hmm. experiences. You know, growing up, I didn't actually know a lot about mental health, uh, like depression, anxiety, um, trouble focusing. Those kind of things didn't ever come up in words. But we were always experiencing them because my dad was in the Marine Corps and we lived on base and he would get um, like assigned to different duties overseas and would leave for months at a time. And I mean, I didn't even realize at the time because you only know your own life when you're young, that it was extremely difficult when he left. And then it was difficult during the time he was gone. And then right when you were getting used to it, he came back. And then it was difficult to go and get hit. Like, you would have to go into the hangars, and all of the buses would pull up, and you would just wait and see where your, see where your dad is. And you just already knew like, I think I started crying maybe when we left the house and we were on the way. Like, you're just such an emotional surge when you're first that your dad's coming back home. So yeah. you got lucky if he was going to war. Um, but two, that like you haven't seen him in a long time, so you really miss your dad. And then the transition back, though, it's like, how do you fold him back into the daily routines? Yeah. Um, he was a very aggressive, disciplinary person. So, uh, But we also, we grew up in the church, so a lot of our mental health or anxiety or stress or sadness was dealt through with prayer and community. Like, we go to church every Sunday. My parents taught, and then I started teaching, and then we would do Mexico ministry, so then our group would go. So I even though we were just going through a lot, um, our community was around us. So that's what I thought getting well was. The wellness was the community. It wasn't until later when the church was also very hateful towards our LGBTQ community. And we have family members in that community that I it wasn't aligning anymore. We It's like us going to church sort of symbolized that we didn't support our family members. So we had to slowly make decisions around that. Um, and losing that was also losing like how we dealt with our emotions. Yeah. Uh, because that was a community. You got in the van, you were talking and laughing and you're getting going down to Mexico. We brought all of our toys. My parents would make us choose toys to take yeah. with us that we weren't playing with for weeks. And they're like, 
put that in the car. <laughs> um, but that's fine. I mean, I think we like doing that. And and then, like, kind of what you're saying is I think all of the giving that you do in those experiences yeah. and playing with the little kids in the churches in Mexico. and Because I think the, the adults would do the ministry piece. I, my brother and I would just go off and play with anyone in the town yeah. who would come play the with kids us. Stuff. So we were just running around. Um, and that was fun. I think that was great. I think that was really good for our wellness but later, as you get older, that's not always the case, Mm-mm. right? Mm-hmm. You, you can't just, you're not seven anymore. You're 17. Yes. Um, and having my father go off to war three times during the Iraq and Afghanistan wars and coming back each time, like, a little bit different or maybe not wanting to talk about his experience. But at the time, what what we did was we internalized it. Yeah. Like, oh, we did something wrong. Oh, you don't want to talk to us because we did something wrong. So there was just so many dynamics that I was in Sacramento um, support. Like when I decided to get in the field, the first population I was really interested in working with were military families. Yeah. Because at the ultimately, that led to my parents' divorce. The military experience we had tore our family apart completely, two shreds. To this day, we're very apart geographically. Uh, it's a horrible pain that I think will never heal for me. Um, and so just like that's kind of where I was yeah. when I started talking about mental health. Cause it, so what I did was I followed this woman from an organization who did yeah. like ther- like free therapy for soldiers. And I would just be her button clicker. Like I would go with her and she would do her presentation. She was an LCSW. <laughs> and, and she would do her presentation. I would just be clicking. And I was just like, there's this thing called PTSD. Those are all the things <laughs> my dad funny. did. Oh, he, he didn't want to talk to us because he just didn't want to share all the things he saw in war. I thought that we were just like horrible children. And um, yeah, my mom too, just kind of thinking about like if your husband had to go away for nine months and then they came back and they're like not the same. Like it just, it tore our family apart. I can never tell the story without crying, but. Um, and it probably doesn't help. <laughs> it doesn't help that your yeah. co-hosts are big know, right? us. <laughs> Although, yeah, like, get it done. Like, don't cry, don't cry, yes, don't cry. We get it done. We, we, get feel, it done. we feel all the feels. I'm feeling you. all the feels right now. But that definitely solidified like why I wanted to go in and help people. Because I didn't even know about any of these words, any of these terms. And I just thought if people knew what was going on and could normalize, like, oh, I know what's happening right yeah. here. Or can anticipate... Um, I think a lot of military families would survive war. I don't even like that we have to figure out how to survive war, side note. Um, But here we are, and we've got to figure it out, and we have to help families. Um, So that was really what got me interested, is that I had my own experiences with it just tearing us apart because we had no idea what was going on. We internalized everything. And just to be able to give people names of things. I know we don't like labels, but in certain circumstances, it helps to normalize when people are internalizing. Like, if that's called PTSD, not you just being, quote, crazy... I yeah. think that actually sometimes helps. Like, I don't want to label people, but I am okay labeling what situations yeah. are. Yeah. You know, but so. imagine just at 17, like, reading and knowing, like, yeah. this is explaining everything that I'm feeling or that I'm going through. Like, to know that, that there was something out there that could give you that answer. Like, yeah. this is what it is. And yeah. to go through all that and knowing that you were feeling stuff and you were in tune with it, but not being able to give it a name or give it facts or statistics or yeah. details, right? Yeah. And yeah. then to come across and be like, oh my god that is what was going on right and it kind of helped you understand like that whole 
painful and emotional process that as a family you had to go through. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So naming it, giving it took away the power it had over us. And I think there's still a lot we have to talk about as a family that we haven't <laughs> gotten through. There's so much unpacking. Yeah, all still families. Yet to do. Right, right. Yeah. <laughs> like, I'm just happy that we're all getting along. Yeah. We're all alive. We're all safe and happy and well. And um, and I just hope families out there. And that's just, we're talking about why we got in the field and more yeah. layers add on to like why we're at this table. Like obviously then you learn about the stigma yeah. of asking for help and how certain populations have a hard time asking for help. I think they wanted to help my dad figure out his, um, like um, some of his experiences. I know he mentioned that some yeah. people were talking to him about it, but he was like, I'm fine. I'm totally fine. And he truly have to give him credit. He is because he started to volunteer a lot. That's where he put all his time in his church and volunteering. Mm -hmm. And that's helped him heal through anything he's gone through, which yeah. I really commend him. Like he never um, started to use like substances or self-medicates. Um, he really just went hardcore into volunteering. Kind yeah. of distracting himself. Yeah, yeah. totally. Um, but gosh, do I, you know, did I want to help more people after that? After yeah. I was like, there's resources out there. Like this could have been avoided and prevented with yeah. education. Are you kidding me? Yeah. Or sign me up for that. And that's yeah. why I'm, that's what got me into the field. Yeah, there's definitely not enough psychoeducation out mm -hmm. there. Because yeah. like if you guys would have known at that time, you're like, maybe we should go talk to someone. Like yeah. when people say like, I have like, oh, my heart's feeling funny or yeah. like, yeah. like my headache hasn't been going away. Like, oh, go see a doctor. Yeah. Or like right. my tooth hurts, right. go yeah. see a dentist. Or like, oh, I have malas vibras, it'll go away. Like yeah. bad vibes and things like that. You're or like, nervios. Yeah, or nervios. Yeah, You're like, nervios. but it might not. And our <laughs> family was not like my tios, tias, my abuelitos. No one's like, hey, y'all should probably consider therapy yeah no like, one that's not happening in our family no. it's like pray yeah it's yeah. gonna pass like, yeah uh-huh like talk to jesus just he'll take it all away yeah or just even yeah. church communities too because i know yeah. church communities like great a support system but also realizing yeah. mental health is a real thing yeah yes and exactly. sometimes in those communities feeling invalidated like it like i know you think i kind of shared about it but it took my my nana a long time to get to a point where she accepted depression mm -hmm. um but i remember i would go through certain things and she would say oh no must be dale dios que te ayude o, o habla con dios and and at times i felt so invalidated and frustrated because i'm like god's not gonna freaking fix things for me right now like it's not working mm -hmm. like i'm going through some shit emotionally like mm -hmm. praying about it isn't changing it mm -hmm. and yeah. so that sometimes as much as i loved my my background and my community within my religion it wasn't always validating it didn't always work yeah and I think related to you too like my parents escaped a war mm. uh, ridden country as teenagers so I think there's also a lot mm. of PTSD there that was never talked about like looking like it's just a conversation that me and my sisters are having now like oh my gosh mom was angry all the time because yeah. she was Trauma like traumatized Absolutely. or she was like had this intense fear like I remember my mom calling from like eight o'clock to like midnight whenever like we were out like 20 50 times like where are you when are you coming home mm -hmm. kind of like this intense fear of like where we're at and we're like why is she like, like that this, or like yeah. why can't you just like express love and kind of like she's trying to but I mm -hmm. think there's a lot of things that she hasn't dealt with and like my parents are super resilient and they're mm. 
I think they're successful, but there's things that like they just have put in the past that they're just like, no, that's not affecting me. That happened 40 years ago mm-hmm. or yeah. something. And you're just like, Mm. And now I see my sister's like, okay, sometimes anxiety's modeled, so and also passed through. And we're like, oh, okay, so th- that's why we're anxious all the time and yeah. get stressed out about right. things. And yeah, and I know my dad hasn't like fully shared like his story, and I know his mm-hmm. is like pretty rough, like yeah. just like abandoned as a child and not going to school and just kind of figuring out life alone. Right. And I think sometimes maybe that's why he was hard on us. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, and yeah. I think that's a really important piece to talk about. That's why generational trauma is always oh, like yeah. such a really important topic to talk about with communities mm-hmm. of color because communities of color are likely to have come from, if you're coming from another country, like South America, Mexico, there's a lot of violence. Mm-hmm. And we there's so mm-hmm. much to celebrate in our cultures, but there's also a lot of violence yeah. in our history. Yeah. Maybe some of it even precipitated by the U.S. government. Yeah. <laughs> maybe that's a, another topic. Exactly. <laughs> I'm like, uh, maybe, uh, maybe yeah. I know. Or I'm like, or, that's why my uncles fought in the war at 12 years old, right. 13 yeah. years old, and, and then, you have to yeah. honor that. It cannot yeah. just be, well, you should tell your mom how you feel. Like, yeah, maybe. Or <laughs> there's so much more to this to yeah. unpack that maybe, like, I love that yeah. you're talking about. Let's let's spend a little time validating yeah. and working through yeah. what they went through. Cause yeah. that's a legit stress. That's not like disordered thoughts. Like that's not something yeah. CBT can say like, well, you can reframe your experience with war. It's like, yeah. and by what? Um, let's okay. actually say that they had, yeah, that's a legitimate traumatizing yeah. mm-hmm. like experience. And that will like pass through your generations. Yeah. Cause yeah. you saw it all. You experienced her yeah she like seeing how her brothers like how it impacted them and then they would take it out on the rest of the siblings that didn't go out to war Mm -hmm. or going to high school and seeing like people get shot up and it was intense or just even the process because my parents are not from mexico they're from also so going multiple countries to To get get here here. yeah so what an experience there's like so much there but they're just like yeah "Eh." Okay, let's right. move on. Yeah, and, <laughs> and it's so crazy how much yeah. Latinos internal internalize their trauma, mm-hmm. like, and we in that and, and we see it in our families. And it's like, oh, how do you call it out without like your yeah. family members getting upset about it? Like, mm-hmm. I remember my dad internalized a lot of his trauma, and I only know remnants of it because my my abuela, his his mom, kind of shared a little bit. But like, my dad was like his dad was murdered when he was really young when he was like 13 um you know my my dad didn't flee the you know mexico because of like war in the terms of military but he flee because it was the war on drugs mm-hmm. and the cartels and how much power they had in the part of mexico where my dad was living mm-hmm. so he came out here for a better life and to literally sponsor all of his siblings and to bring them all to the u.s well the mm-hmm. ones that are here mm-hmm. he sponsored all of them but he doesn't talk about it mm-hmm. and it's very interesting and he doesn't he's never gone back even though he became a citizen when i was very young and he has now the right and the privilege to travel back and forth but he has mm-hmm. never gone back mm-hmm. and i don't know what it is that he doesn't want to face um but my dad's internalization um kind of was projected onto us because similar to what you experienced with your mom my dad was always very angry and we're like what the 
Like, where is it coming from? And he was always very emotionally cut off, which unfortunately that rubbed off on a lot of us as siblings. Like, I force my siblings to hug me now, but back in the day, we'd be like, don't touch me. But now, I'll, like, joke, and I'll be like, brother, love me, hug me. And then my brother, still to this day, he's like, like, uh, like, very awkward. Like, but now he's like opening up. But then we realized, like, we learned this was modeled to us by our parents. Like, right. my dad mm-hmm. loved us, but he showed us love in the traditional sense that I will provide for you. You will have clothes, you will have shelter, yeah. you will have everything you need, except. The yeah. emotional component. Yeah, like, I need nurture too. Yeah, I'm like, I want hugs. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Validation. Yeah. And I don't reinforcement. Know, yeah, and I don't know now, La Rosa, if your dad or your mom, older in life, if they're a little bit more affectionate now. But my dad now, as an older person, he's mm-hmm. very affectionate and yeah. very emotional. And I'm like, who the hell is this? I think so, like, because now they're at that point where my sisters are also in grad school. Yeah. And they recently moved out of the home, which that is another. <laughs> that <Ooh>. was hard. <laughs> like, yeah. all of them are out. But I think it was also very healthy. Um, but now that I feel like they have time to like reflect back and they have time Ooh. to kind of per- give that nurture because they're not worried about like, okay, my kids have to go to school. Okay, is, yeah. are they doing their homework? Yeah. Or doing? So now they have a lot of downtime and I think they're just like opening up, which yeah. is a cool, is cool. experience. Yeah. It's a, I think now that we're older and we're able to reflect it back or, and kind of be more mindful in the moment, you're like, whoa, like my parents are cool and my sisters are cool. <laughs> yeah. Like I'm not irritated by them. At, yeah. at least not that much. <laughs> right. Or it's amazing to be in that space where like when your family is okay, it's amazing how at peace we feel. Mm-hmm. Like they're fine. Like it's so liberating to feel that because when our families are experiencing crisis or, or things, it impacts us in such like, like such a magnitude and it just weighs and it's like mm-hmm. and so to all three of us be in a space right now where our parents are okay and our families mm-hmm. are okay it's like oh god like this is awesome please Amen, don't yeah. don't mess yeah. it up parents right but and thinking about but, but, and this is la sirena thinking about the barriers to mental health mm-hmm. how many of us grew up with our parents we were basically watching trauma untreated and living with trauma untreated a lot of people i'm gonna maybe go out on a limb and say a lot of latinos might have a similar experience where they've watched some part of their generation either parents were right before that they might even be able to name a few experiences but at the end of the the story it's like and they just sort of prayed through it or you know it's Mm -hmm. like how far back do your generations go of somebody who was able to see a therapist and mm-hmm. get like professional client counseling, like not many generations back. So, yeah. so I think we're all carrying not only what's going on currently for us, but maybe things that we have experienced by watching mm-hmm. our Definitely. loved ones go through things without asking for help. And I also think about our clients. Like I know when yeah. you were talking about like, why wasn't my dad sharing these things and why I'm like, why my dad or my parents yeah. don't share about these things. Like, I think about my clients and they don't tell their trauma to anybody. Exactly. So I'm just like, yeah, that's even hard to kind of disclose to a family member because you, it's like too close, right? Too close to home and you don't know how they're going to react or if they're going to judge you about it. So I can see sometimes how therapy can be a a kind of a non-judgmental zone to kind of just like air it out and kind of, yeah, kind of have it bounce back to you and have that time for reflection. Like, can I be real right now? Yeah. 
Like without being told to let's have a prayer or let's like, um, oh, it's okay. It's just your nervios. Or, yeah. or a lot of folks will say like, oh, you just need to go out in nature <laughs> and maybe have a getaway. Or it's like, can I just be real about what is happening and some yeah. of the symptoms? Like I've thought about suicide twice this week. Yeah. You know, those mm-hmm. sorts of things. It's like I, I can understand where if you don't have a place at home to talk about that, Having then you're going to deal with that yeah. somewhere. And we want it to be healthy. So asking for help is always, I mean, mm-hmm. asking for help is the first step, but then having culturally competent therapist kind of yeah. closes that yeah. loop up. We can't tell people to ask for help, but then not deliver on making sure our counselors are ready. Exactly. Right? How to unpack yeah. it yeah. and like safely right. guide them through that right. process. And I think uh, the culture and psychology is changing. Like I feel like we're in a turning point where um, there's more diversity. Shout out to us. And that's where Nopal Queens <laughs> can support you through that process. Yeah. Well, we can't do on-air therapy, but nope. we can no. just uh, we encourage down, you. But we will yeah. give you resources. Yeah. I think just encouraging people to like reach out mm-hmm. or like to go like reach out and resources or talk to someone at school to find things. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And um, just to yeah. validate that it is going to be a process. And yes, um, Latinx clinicians are out there and you know keep in mind that it is a process and that it does take time to find us because there isn't that many of us out there in the field and we mm-hmm. might not always be in your cities um, but you know don't give up on your process and your journey um, you know and when you get there celebrate yourself for being in a space where you are taking steps for yourself and claiming your narrative and giving yourself a voice and just, you know, trust the process and trust that it, it takes time. And there's more Latinx therapists in school now and getting, you know, educated and becoming therapists and social workers. Um, you know, so they're coming, you know, just we're on the up and up. Yeah. But I think that's like a good segue into the affirmation part of it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But did we want to do nicknames before affirmation? Yes. Oh Uh yes. Yeah. All right, um, it's La Luna here, so we thought we would let you all know why we have a nicknames. Um, and so we have La Luna, which is myself, and then we have... La Rosa. And... La Sirena. Um, and I think part of the reason why um, we created this, and my partners will chime in as well, um, was to kind of give us a space to disconnect from our everyday lives and who we are during the day. Um, in our professional settings that we're in. And so this, so Nopal Queens is us. It is our space. It's a space that we cultivated to be, to be unapologetically ourselves, to talk about things, real things that are, we're experiencing, you know, throughout the day, in our careers, in our lives. And this was something that was just for us. And the reason why um, our nicknames are so important is um, it also kind of adds some fun you know, flavor and spice to Nopal Queens because we are not always serious. We're funny, we're creative. Um, and giving tribute to Loteria was so funny to us because I mean, me personally, I grew up playing this this game. Um, and La Luna was something that La Rosa picked for me, which <laughs> I love her for it. Um, and it makes sense and I totally am obsessed with it now. Um, so yeah, that's kind of my take on it, but I'll let La Rosa and La Sirena kind of share what the nicknames means is mm-hmm. what it means to them. This is La Rosa. Um, I know previously before 
when we're in the planning process of this, we were talking about nicknames. I'm like, oh, I don't know. But then we kind of talked about the Loteria cards, and it just kind of worked. Yeah. And I think I chose La Rosa because it just reminds me of my mom. Mm-hmm. Um, my real name that you might find out later in life is also in that related garden family. So I think if it, well, <laughs> I always love flowers and roses. So I think mm-hmm. if fit really well i think all of our nicknames kind of fit with our personalities if yeah. you know us in real life you can let <laughs> us know um what about yeah. you la sirena yeah so i also love the game loteria and i think it's a fun uh, play on the space that we're cultivating which is for latinos and so we're going to do a lot of things related to what you might all know and your experiences being a latino and also um i we talked a little bit about um keeping our true identity through a lot of the political climate where right now Latinos kind of take the the headlines around immigration issues and the border. But who are we? Like, who were we before that? Who are we now? Who are we in the future? And we're fun. We're beautiful. We're exciting. I think Latinos powerful. have a lot of culture. Super powerful. And there's many different kinds. So um, La Rosa is El Salvadorian and La Luna and myself are Mexican. And we can all come together and really just um, find the fun in our cultures and share with each other. And I love that we all come from a different um orientation to our culture too and i think that we it's really important that we have fun like we said before this is not our work this is not our full-time job um this is our project that we wanted to share space with all of you who are also looking for space just for latinos but not to always talk about um headlines and all of the negative things but you're going to sometimes hear some fun music that mm-hmm. we've heard from Latino artists. And mm-hmm. we're also featuring sometimes some artists that we like or the folks who've done our logo or, or um, recording. Or There's just a lot of fun things out there to celebrate in it. And we're going to try to keep that at the forefront. And that's where you're going to have these fun nicknames yeah. and, this fun, and this concept that we're going to continue building on. And um, we're going to keep our culture at the forefront. Yeah, so we definitely hope that you all enjoy our fun, you know, nicknames and that when you listen to us that you feel bienvenido, that you feel at home and that you feel like you're a family. So even though we don't know you yet, we hope uh, that you do feel that way. Yeah, and feel free to comment on our social media posts and yes. send us messages. Uh, we want to get to know you more and build connection. Um Along those lines, subscribe to our podcast. Yes, with lots of love. (laughs) Um, We're new, so we want to get this rolling. Um, We're figuring it out. If you have any feedback, send it to us. Um, Yeah, anything else Mm -hmm. we want to share before we sign out today? Our positive affirmations. Who wants to go first? Yeah, I think we will end today with some... Oh, yeah, this is La Sirena. <laughs> this is La Sirena, and I think it might be good to end today sending people off with some positive affirmations. And the topic we wanted to affirm is when you've made that step to go to counseling, maybe you've made your first appointment, maybe you've actually attended your first appointment, that's the space that we wanted to affirm and validate today. What would you all say to someone who has make, taken that step? Yeah, you asked for help. Woo! Yes. <laughs> Do you, boo? That's right. Um, yeah, you are taking uh, like the first step to like self-discovery and healing. Mm-hmm. So that's awesome. And yes. 
stick with it. It takes a while. We don't have magic wands. No. Mm-hmm. I and wish. We yeah, want to. This journey is long, to. but I think it's really worth it. Mm-hmm. Yes. And and pat yourself on the back and be kind to yourself um, because it takes a lot of courage to get to a place where you're in a space where you're ready to dig deep and process some emotional ass shit. So mm-hmm. yes to you. Yeah, more power to you. This is like the most critical time and you've actually made that step and um, you might not know how it's going to go or end and that's the scary part too, but you are amazing for just even making the first step or making your first appointment. Um, That's like one of the biggest signs of bravery and awesomeness that you are um, being a model for and maybe you're being a model for your younger siblings or cousins or family members, but either way it's... It's just such a special time when you've made a commitment to yourself and your happiness and yes. uh, much respect to you and go forth and kick butt. All right. Well, thank you for spending time with us today. And we're going to send you off with lots of love, peace and wellness. Yes. Okay. Bye, amigos. See you next time. Adios.